0: Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Miller. I'm so excited for you to be with us again this week. Each week I try to find you guys the best interviews I can in the orthodontic profession. And this week I found another great one for you. You're going to be so excited to hear the interview I have with Dr. Alfred Jackson. Dr. Jackson and I had a great time talking about community involvement, how to market your practice, staff, culture, Uh, You're going to be really impressed by this interview, and, and I'm really excited to share it with you. Thanks again for spreading the word about the podcast. We have had an increasing number of people downloading week after week, and that's been really exciting for me to see. I think we've been downloaded in all 50 states now. I think Mississippi and Hawaii were our last two holdouts, but we finally got those ones, and I think in over 50 countries as well around the world. So thanks again for telling your friends and spreading the word. It's been really exciting and uh, gratifying to hear those comments that have come in from, from all over the place. Before we jump into the interview, I wanted to spend a minute talking about a question that I get sometimes, which is what credit card should I use for my business or for my personal spending? And I think the reason I get this question is because I'm a little bit of a credit card junkie. I'm one of these people that has 20 or more credit cards on the go at any given time, and I even have a spreadsheet to track them when they're opening and closing and so on and so forth. I will start this by saying I think that the credit card craze is kind of winding down somewhat. I think we're past the peak of this credit card frenzy, but there's still some good deals to be had out there, and if you're thoughtful, you can do some fun things with these credit cards. The first question I have is, doesn't this affect your credit score in some negative way, having all these credit cards open? And the short answer to that And the definitive answer to that really is no. Uh, I sometimes see a small dip in my credit score, but it's never long-lasting. And if anything, having all of these credit cards open increases your total credit availability so that your utilization of of your credit lines looks smaller to the companies and your credit score sometimes goes up. So that hasn't been a concern for me at all. All right, so when you're signing up for a credit card, there's three things you want to consider. The first are sign-up bonuses, and are you able to get some bonuses by signing up for the card? The second is uh, your everyday spending or your category spending, and the third is what kind of fringe benefits you're going to get with the card. So we'll take these three things here uh, and hopefully help you guys make a good decision on what credit card to use. The first is the sign-up bonus. If you see 50,000 points, 75,000 points, 100,000 points— that should get your attention a little bit. Uh, most of these points are worth at least a cent apiece. So if you get 100,000 points, that's probably worth $1,000. Depending on how you value your time and the hassle of signing up and closing this card, It might be worth your while. Uh, I've certainly been able to leverage these into some fun trips. I've gone to Europe a couple times. I've flown business class to Japan and back. Uh, Some things I would never be able to do because I use some of these sign-up bonuses. And some of these cards allow you to churn them or to open them multiple times. So there was an American Airlines card a couple years ago that had a 100,000-mile uh, sign up bonus, but you had to spend $10,000 to get it. Well, you know, we've got these businesses that have fairly high expenses. So I signed up for it three times, twice for me and once for my wife, and I got 300,000 American Airlines points. That's that's worth quite a bit. Uh, so sign up bonuses, that's something to consider. If there's a big bonus, maybe you want to take advantage of it. More importantly, probably is the second category here, the everyday or the category spending. And that really falls into two categories. One are Fixed value or cashback cards. These are your Capital One Ventures, your 2% back cards. Uh, and those are great. I think that that's a really good way to go. Uh, it's, you have to work a little bit hard, I think, to do better than that. So if you're looking for the easy option, that's a good way to go. The second option is to get points. Sometimes you can get points directly with an airline or a hotel. I like the cards that give you points with transferable. Programs like uh, American Express Membership Rewards or Chase Ultimate Rewards. Citibank has one now called Thank You Points. I think those have a little bit more flexibility and so they're a little bit more valuable. But the downside of points is that sometimes they are hard to redeem. The availability of the frequent flyer. Uh, tickets is not always very good sometimes the programs will devalue your points so you're sitting on a big pile of them now all of a sudden they're worth a lot less than they were before but there's a potential to get a really high redemption uh, and you get some really big value out of them so that's kind of what you have to decide is what kind of points you want Uh, the last thing is that some of these cards have category bonuses so if you're spending on hotels or airfare or Uh, restaurants or even some of the business cards. I have a card that gives me 5% back on office supplies and telephone bills, so that's great for staples and for my phone bill and those sorts of things. Uh, Sometimes you can really get a little bit of an extra boost by using those sorts of cards. The last thing you want to consider when you sign up for a card is, are there fringe benefits? And I think these really are fringy. Uh, I wouldn't make my determination based on this, but these are things like, can you get airport lounge access? Can you get status at a hotel or a car rental? Uh, some of the cards will reimburse you getting global entry. So if you sign up for one of these cards, maybe it's a good time to get global entry or TSA pre-check because it'll save you a hundred bucks. And then the one perk that is sometimes valuable is that there's a travel credit, and that helps offset the annual fee. So the American Express Platinum cards will give you $200 a year travel credit. Uh, The Chase Sapphire Reserve will give you $300 a year travel credit, and these cards have a $450 annual fee. So I kind of view that as a reduction in the annual fee. If you use that and they're very easy to use these credits for the most part, then in essence that kind of reduces the annual fee on these cards and makes them a little bit less painful. Okay, so all that being said, what cards do I recommend for your personal spending? I think if you want to go the cash back route, I think that's a great way to go. The ones that I like a lot are the Fidelity has a 2% back cash rewards card. Citibank has their double cash, which is also a straight 2%. Neither of those have an annual fee. I think for a small annual fee of 60 or $80, you can get the Capital One Venture card. And then I do like to chase Sapphire Reserve or Preferred cards. Uh, I think there's potential to get a lot of value, especially the ones that give you three times back at restaurants. If you eat out a lot or you have travel expenses, those can be good. So Fidelity, City 2% back, or uh, one of these Chase ones that give you Chase Ultimate Rewards points. For your business... Uh, again, if you're going back to if you're going the two percent cash back, I think your option is Capital One. They've got a cashback card or one that gives you travel points. Hard to go wrong with those. I think they're great value, very low annual fee. If you want to get a little bit more involved uh, for your everyday spending, the two I like are the Chase ones, the Chase Inc. And actually for the business, I do like the uh, business platinum from American Express it has uh, the ability to earn a lot of membership rewards points and the way that you can use those points is useful so that's one that i think is a popular one as well there's another card i think out there that's kind of fading in popularity starwood preferred guests they have some loyal following but they're merging with marriott and i think that's one that is a little bit unclear i think that's it i think that's all people want to hear about credit cards for today if you have any questions. If you have any questions, post them in the Facebook group. Maybe I'll start a thread and we can chat about it a little bit more. Shoot me an email. Let's jump into the interview. Dr. Alfred Jackson attended 11 schools from grades K through 12 growing up in a military family. He earned an undergraduate degree in exercise physiology at the University of Florida He attended dental school at the University of North Carolina and completed his orthodontic residency at St. Louis University's Center for Advanced Dental Education. He lives in the Charlotte, North Carolina area and is married with two young children. He is the owner of a two-location orthodontic practice. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Jackson.
1: Uh, Thanks, Lance, for having me. I'm super pumped and excited and humbled um, just to be uh, uh, chosen to be one of the people on the podcast. Hopefully, some people can gain some things from what I have to say.
0: Yeah, I, ha- I have no doubt. I'm, I'm excited to have you here. So tell me a little bit about how your sports allegiances run here with these uh, different schools here in, in light of Carolina's recent national championship.
1: Oh yeah, I'm definitely one of those guys that has a primary team and a, uh, when people make fun of, I have a secondary team as well. Um, I'm a big Florida Gator fan, that's my main school, you know, that's a, that was a school, undergrad school, so that's my main school, but I'm also a huge uh, Carolina fan as well. So they were almost close to playing each other, you know, a couple of rounds away. That would have been kind of a, a, yeah. a scary thing, but luckily, oh well, I guess unluckily that didn't happen, but first and foremost, if they ever played out, I would go for Florida. Go
0: for Florida, okay, all right. And exercise physiology, so if I want like biceps as big as yours, I just should have majored in exercise physiology, right?
1: Exactly. You can get degrees for doing bicep curls, you know. Yes. Uh, <laughs> extra <credit>. <laughs> That's a <laughs> awesome. more complex than that, but yeah, yeah. I figured I really Sweet. like the exercise, so I should major in something that I can get credit for it. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Well, tell our listeners a little bit about your journey since graduating from SLU, um, kind of what you've done and how you've gotten to where you are today.
1: Yeah, once I graduated from SLU, my first thing, I joined an associateship, um, not because I didn't want to start right away, but my wife, she's a pediatric dentist, and um, she was just starting her residency in Chapel Hill, so I went back to Chapel Hill um, and associated for a large practice. Um, I think there was a total of 11 practices there, um, and I was one of the locations there. Um, you know, I practiced this all, any variety of, uh, you know, insurance, Medicaid, pretty every everything, really, so I learned a ton from there, and it was a great experience, but after that, I opened my own practice, um, in the Charlotte area six years ago. And since then, um, you know, it's just like most start practices, you start with the zero patients. Um, you know, nobody ringing on the phone. And we've uh, been lucky enough to grow. And then um recently um last um July I bought a second practice from a guy. Um he's a younger guy. He was just looking to move down to Florida, a little change in lifestyle. So I was able to buy his practice which was only about 6 miles away from mine. Um so it's a little bit of a unique situation, but you know, luckily we've been blessed that it's worked out great so far. That's awesome.
0: You sa- you said you learned a lot from an associate, Chip, And sure. What do you think that a young orthodontist should learn while they're working as an associate. I mean, is there an opportunity there to kind of get your bearings a little bit?
1: Um, it's huge. You know, I think that when people get through a dental school, there's things like GPRs and AGDs that they can do. Um, orthodontics is kind of like, you know, this jumping out with no parachute if you open by yourself. Um, you can learn different things from the business aspect. That's always huge. Um, clinically, the biggest thing I really learned was, uh, with a lot of the coworkers and, you know, employees because, for the most part they think of you as another employee as well um so they tell you things and you know you kind of have to use those things when you open your own but clinically you get to see what other people are doing and really for the first time you also get to um, you know really see your results you know all the way through there's always those tough cases in residency and eventually they just age out and they get transferred to our little brother and you hope he can finish them um but in private practice that's not the case so a lot of things that you learn you have to um in school you have to really Kind of hone them in and use them in I guess I would say the real world or in private practice,
0: yeah, yeah, that's great. When you started your practice, tell us a little bit about that. Did you have a specific vision for what you wanted to create uh what What were your goals in starting a practice
1: yeah when i to, when I started my practice, um a lot of the things that I learned in the associateship um nothing was wrong with them, but I wanted to do things a lot different um, you know, I just wanted to kind of. Um, I always tell people I just wanted to be myself all throughout the practice and every aspect of it, um, which I thought was very important. But really, when I got out, I was reading books about, you know, super aesthetic stuff like that. And I really wanted to kind of hone in on that stuff and the little nuances of the smile and uh, smile aesthetics. Um Kind of as it grew, you know, not that I quickly changed that, but I started really falling into helping people a lot more, you know, uh, being severe uh, in my community service. Really kind of honing in on that and making sure that's what I really want to do and really, um, continuing that and pushing forward with that. And that's really the, you know, bread and butter of our practice now. It's just, um, I think community service. And I really think that's our main core value, not just being in the community, really being a part of that, um, giving as much as we can to our patients and our whole community, trying to be a, you know, a real pillar in our community.
0: Yeah. That's something I love too about being an orthodontist is trying to be a force for good in the community. And that's one thing I really admire about you as well—is this really big focus on on giving back to the community. So let's, I guess, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, you've you've talked about community partnerships. I've heard you speak on that. And tell our listeners what the difference is between a partnership and a donation.
1: Yeah, um, you know, people always ask me and I say, I never do any community sponsorships or donations. I always do some type of partnership. And surprisingly enough, any community organization is happy to partner with you more so they probably are than a donation. The main difference is a partnership is going to take time on your end and time on the community's end as well. And I think that's a better thing there. You, you go to them and you try to make sure that they know that you're there for and you're just not a person that wants to write a check, um, that you want to, if you're donating to something, you want to come to the event. You want to be a part of the event. You want to see not what's in it for you, for se, but you just want to be there. You want to make sure it's a lasting relationship, I guess, more so than just a donation.
0: That's something I think that a lot of people find difficult to do, to to really engage as fully as that and to take the time and commit to it. What What is it about you that kind of motivates you to do that?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it always, I think, initially starts with whatever your upbringing is. Um, that's always part of it. Um, I'm a military kid, so there's always service in that. Uh, I'm also a uh single parent child, right? So there's always that in different times in life. I could have went the other way. There's always some person, uh, whether it's a coach or teacher or uncle or something, that kind of got you back on the path there. So I really wanted to see how I can be involved there and I could use my small reach that I have as an orthodontist to reach our community in different ways. And I soon realized that a lot of people in the community, especially these days, need help. And no matter if it's an organization, big or small, they always want to get their message out there. And anything that you can do to help is always uh, greatly appreciated.
0: Right. So you're saying maybe make a donation, but also come to the Little League game, be a part of whatever event they have going on. Uh, is that something you're doing yourself? Are you, are you sending your team? Are you guys all going together? What What are the logistics of that?
1: Yeah, all of the above. You know, when I first started out, it was simply that I would, you know, like every person, you know, I think every Orthodont sponsors a team, but I would go out there with water bottles, you know, go to a game, me and my staff and our t-shirts, cheer them on. That's kind of how it initially started with things. Um, the same thing for 5Ks. If you're doing a community 5K, say sure, we don't, we'll donate and, or of course the name on the shirt, but more importantly, we want to go out there and run and set up a tent, um, and, you know, hand out water bottles and throw water bottles and do fun stuff like that, and do giveaways. And then the biggest thing for us, it really spiraled into more community activities, and we do a monthly charity, which is something I really love. And it's so many small charities that people don't know about. Um, and we have the opportunity to, um, you know, I guess, you know, there are a few Facebook friends or people in our office to highlight those charities and bring shine light to people that are doing amazing things as well. So it kind of snowballs into those kind of things, and it just continues to go on and on. And people know you're in the community, and they come to you for different things and say, hey, we have this issue going on, which is a, uh um, for me, it's always a great thing that people actually come to me and say that. But when they come to me and say, hey, we have this thing going on, we know this is up your alley, and we want you to be part of this, um, you know, as a local orthodontist, um, it's really fun.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. I get a huge kick out of that. And I try to do that as much as I can here in our community. And I do find that now I'm starting to get more and more people, you know, I know they're coming partially for the money, but also because we we can get involved and we can broaden the reach of what they're trying to do. So it's fun to me when they come and say, oh, we're doing, uh, you know, a food drive because the food bank is low, or we're doing backpacks for foster kids, or, or whatever the case may be. I've had a couple of these recently. Uh, it's fun to be a part of that and to get involved in that. What's What's one example of a partnership that you have going on right now that's working really well and that you're really proud of?
1: Um, the biggest one that I'm proud of, um, and then that we really try to pick up even more, is a mentor program. Uh, we started a male mentor program at a middle school. You know, just because, you know, from the principal's um, own ideas, he was saying, you know, we're really in need of more uh, male figures in the school. And that really spoke to me. So um, we're just kind of not out the blue, but just with the help of one of the counselors started a male mentor program um, that we have at our closest middle school there. And obviously, there's no really return on investment on those kind of things. But it just makes me proud to see that And when people come back to me and say they heard that about the mentor program, um, that's uh, it means a ton to me
0: yeah tell- tell me a little bit more about that what what made you want to start that or what you know what are your goals with that
1: yeah um so the main reason that I wanted to start something like that was that um I guess me and myself you know being a single parent kid raised by my mom solely, I was lucky enough to have other males kind of around that to kind of help me out a lot, but I also realized that there's sometimes a void in the community for that, and when I was speaking to the counselors involved in the middle school, you know, and different things I'm actually on the p t a at the middle school. Uh, they started to say what kind of trouble the guys were getting into and that a lot of kids end up being that drop out or initially lost in middle school. And that was shocking to me. And then it started to make some sense. Elementary school, everyone's friends. It's really in middle school when cliques start forming. And depending on who you are, you can get lost in the shuffle. Um So I really just wanted to kind of be an ear to a lot of people, how I can get other um, men involved in the school the best I can. And my goals with that are just to, you know, just to be, a, it's just small ripples, just to make a small ripple effect on you know, I don't necessarily go out there thinking I'm going to change someone's lives, but hopefully I can just be a, a you know an ear for someone, and you know I can talk to them and tell them my experiences, and hopefully they can be better off in the long run. So if someone wants to make a partnership you're with a school,
0: uh, that sometimes can be a little bit intimidating. How, how do you how do you approach that? How do you initiate that partnership?
1: Yeah, that's a great question because I get that a lot. of People say, "Hey, I try to get into schools, they don't, they don't let me in." Right now, yeah. uh, right? A lot of people will say that, and I think you know you have to be genuine in what you do. And a lot of I think schools feel are very protective of their students as they should be. Um, yeah, as a parent, that sounds great, right? Yeah, we don't want anyone just coming and talking or just selling something. So that's the partnership portion of it, really. Um So when I go to school, I usually will try to meet with a. Uh, PTA president or a uh, guidance counselor or vice principal um, and tell them what our goals are and say, hey, this is what I would really like to do. Um, do you have anything like this? For example, we had something uh, where I said, you know, I really want to help kids. I see people selling, you know, cookies and things to go on these trips. I'm sure some kids can't do that. Do you have students that just can't go? I said, and they said yeah, sometimes we do. You know, so I said, how can I really help with that? If I can, I want to send a kid to one of the field trips that they usually don't get to go to—an underserved kid, kind of that may not have the funds to go. So we came up with something there and started a scholarship uh, for a middle school student that they write an essay, and then we kind of select that person to kind of go on. You know, to a, they go to Dallas uh, for a special field trip where they get to kind of be a part of. But the biggest thing for me, really, is just coming to the table with some ideas, um, not just with the donation, but saying, "Hey, I want to be a partner here. I want to be involved here. I'm in this school. I'm right. Ra- I'm in this community. I really want to be a part of the community the best I can." Yeah.
0: You know, listening to you, it seems that the difference between this and just any old kind of marketing plan is that your heart's really in it, and I think that's the key. I mean, if someone wants to do these things just to help their practice and Grow their number of new patients. I don't think they're going to be as successful in forming these partnerships as, as someone like you who's really invested in it and got their heart in it.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I, you know, it's really something big for me and it's really, I, um, it's really, you know, in my, I guess, you know, in my soul, I guess, to do these kind of things. But also I tell people, even guys that aren't as, um, that's not, they're not as big as into that as I am. I would really tell them still go out and do it because it is a great way just from a marketing piece too. You know that was a big thing for me that I didn't even anticipate, but a lot of people come to me. I heard about the stuff that you do in the community It happens probably three times a day that someone will probably mention it and out of our consoles out of ten consoles, probably two of them mention that so it so it happens repeatedly as a positive side effect, I guess to do a lot of those things. But you do have to be genuine, and I think we all, especially as orthodontists, we're healthcare providers. I think there's always going to be something that you're passionate about. It may not be the same things that I'm passionate about, but you can definitely find that, whatever your heart, and really just kind of go after that and kind of focus on that, and you know make that your kind of goal there. And You know, and of course donations are always great and that's better than better than nothing. But when you just say, Hey, I want to come to the event, I wanna be there, I'll shake hands, I think you will always leave with more than you anticipated. Just seeing the kids smile, seeing them have fun, that will spark you to do even more and more.
0: That's an awesome answer, Alfred. I just I love that. And I think that's so true. I think every orthodontist out there, like you said, has something inside them that's special or unique that really suits them. And I think as Orthodontists, we're so lucky because we can take that and we can turn it into something. We can turn it into a community partnership or get involved in some way or, you know, start some sort of project. And everyone's unique, but I think we're so lucky that we have the ability to, to take something we're passionate about and turn it into reality. That's so exciting to me. And I hope that that's something that uh, more and more Orthodontists really embrace. I think that's, I think that's awesome. So besides these community involvement, marketing strategies. What else did you do when you opened your practice that you felt like was successful in getting the word out about uh, Jackson Orthodontics?
1: Yeah, when I first got out, I, mean, I think I was like any guy that had too much time on their hands. Uh, you know, I was shaking hands and uh, you know, kissing babies. You know, <laughs> I'm doing all you could. So of course, like everyone, I went and introduced myself to the local dentist. You know, told him who I was and told him you know what kind of I was. You know, I was about there, just like I think everybody does. You know, I did some direct mail things just to kind of get my name out there um, as best I could. And one thing that I really did, any person that came in my office, I was trying to be as genuine as possible and take it as great. As care as possible, as I possibly could, to make sure you know, to make sure you know that they understood that you know we are trying to grow and we do try to do the best job we can. And I was very fortunate that that spoke to some people. Um, and those people told other people's, and it grew kind of organically. And then on the backside of that, they went to the dentist and said, oh, yeah, no, we went to this guy, and he was great. We liked him. We really loved him, his office was great. And then, then they started referring to me that way. Because, you know, the regular traditional lunches and dinners, um, that's tough to break into, really. You know, there's no reason for a dentist to refer to a guy that just graduated from school that they don't know. Um, but once they had, because they are very protective of their patients in a good way sometimes, and they want the best for them, just like we want the best but they don't know you. So once they start hearing great things from the patients that you have treated, that's a huge benefit.
0: Yeah. What have been the challenges that you faced as you've uh, grown? Practice systems, staff, what are the things you've worked on?
1: Yeah, um, the hardest thing for me is always staff. Um, I think most orthodontists will say that. You know, you you try to build a culture in there. I'm really big on that. We talked about all the kind of, uh, community partnerships and things like that. That takes a team of people to do um, as you get busier and busier. Everyone in the practice has to kind of buy into that. And, you know, everyone in interviews will say, oh, I love community service. But then when they actually get in the practice and they start doing them, it's a different thing. You know, we're like, what are you guys doing this weekend? Oh, we're going to this thing. We're going to that thing. Um, that is a different feel for people, too. And that doesn't resonate with every person. Um, you know, some people are looking for a job and a paycheck, which I understand as well. And then when you have to be a little bit more than that, that's different. And also, as you grow from a startup practice, it is weird to me to always see this transition of some staff members. Some people will go with you as you grow. And I think some people preferred it when it was smaller too. And that was the thing that kind of caught me off guard a little bit. You know, they want they liked it better when there was only three people in the office uh, or three staff members there. And now you have ten people in there, you're seeing eighty, ninety people a day. Not every staff member is gonna to adapt to that. So that definitely uh struck me as a change in trying to uh listen to guys and trying to learn from them how to best handle that. From practice systems, uh going from one practice to two practices um has been a big change for me as well. Even though they're very close proximity, buying a practice is a lot different, um, than opening one from scratch.
0: Yeah, I, I believe that. I've only, I've only bought a practice, but, uh, I do have multiple locations and there certainly are some logistical challenges, uh, in, in that. And I'm sure with you having, did you keep some of the staff or all of the staff perhaps from the, the new location?
1: Uh, yeah, I kept all the staff from the location and, Instantly, you know tried to bring them together and did um, you know some team-building exercises right away And even to this day all the staff that you know I brought over stayed and the only people that have left have been my some of my old original staff Some people that you know wouldn't think necessarily would but it is a transition for everyone and it was a quick transition as well There was only like a, a three-week period that people knew that we I bought the practice and you know And he, he left soon thereafter um, So that was different for a lot of people some of the patients came in hadn't even heard yet so it was um you know it was it was definitely a kind of a quick thing and um you know we looking back on a lot of things you could have I could have done better myself but you know I don't really believe in what I say I don't believe in really obstacles. There's no obstacles, you just kinda they're more like stepping stones, right? Um you learn from them, you don't just kinda go back. You actually use them to elevate you to the next step.
0: Sure. Well what's an example of that? What's a time when you were maybe with this purchase practice or maybe before then maybe when you were starting your practice is there a time where you felt like boy i'm dealing with this and it seemed like such an incredibly challenging thing and then how did you kind of overcome that
1: yeah i mean um yeah that's that's an awesome question honestly there's certain days that you you feel like you're in over your head especially when you're starting out you know you get there you're like we're not seeing any patients you know i mean there's five people coming in the door this week you know what are we going to do and then you just kind of keep pushing, you keep pushing, and it's always exponential. You get this breaking point where you start getting it, right? Um, you start getting it, and you start really flowing, and you start seeing patients, and people start recognizing that you're doing a good job. Um, that's a great feeling to have. But then there's always those days and, you know, you turn around and you will have some of your most trusted staff members do something uh, that really hurts you. You know, they'll quit instantly or just stop coming to work without you even, you know, they just stop. So those things always give you a little bit of a setback. You know, I've been down to where we it was the summertime it was just me and one more once the one other staff member because we had two people leave instantly out of the office. And, um, you know, that's got to be crazy. That. <laughs> yeah, it was in the height of the summer. It was right the week, two weeks before school starts. So that's the busiest time, but we just kind of put our nose to the grind. And you know, now I look back and laugh at that because the people you hire after them were twice as good and I was twice as better at handling them. And then I also realized that, you know, you need a great team of people, but you also have a certain culture and you have a certain self belief that you'll overcome at all. You know, at the end of the day, it's orthodontics. You know, it's, uh, um, you know, we create smiles every day, uh, for the most part. And that's a great space to be in. Right. Yeah. That's,
0: I think, the stuff of everyday life. I mean, I feel like, you know, and once you overcome one challenge, then all of a sudden there's this other thing that kind of looms in front of you. And, you know those things stress me out whether it 's you know i 've got a, some equipment that just failed and now i 've got to replace it or whether it 's a staff issue or whether it 's a you know difficult situation with a patient 's mom i mean I, I I feel like sometimes when i 'm in those moments it 's hard to keep that big perspective it 's hard to say, oh yeah i 'm going to get through this, and then i 'm going to be better because of it i 'm going to have more skills and more experience sometimes i 'm just freaking out right in the moment <laughs> and you know, but it does seem like. When we, when we kind of put ourselves out there and, and get through that, then there is some, something on the other side of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, you know, like, like I mentioned before, you kind of use each one to kind of push you forward. Um, but like you said, when you're in it, it's tough. You know, the hardest ones for me as well are when you clinically, you're trying to do your best and the case just isn't closing like you want. Um, you know, you know, the patient's frustrated. You're frustrated. You're frustrated for them. Um, and then you kind of, you have to kind of dial back, I think we we'll us say the autopsy of the what happened. You have to actually sit down there and see where you actually made a mistake, which is a hard thing to say, you know, like, you know, if you misdiagnose something, if you didn't do the best, you know, if you didn't do something, you have to go back to them and say, and you have to kind of you know break it apart to see what happened just so you don't make that same mistake you make again because if you get over a hurdle you're in the right in the same place but if you use that hurdle um that obstacle to kind of push you forward um i think you're better off long run because we all make mistakes we're in the we're practicing dentistry right we're practicing orthodontics just hopefully don't make the same mistakes multiple times and continue to make them um i think is when it's uh um beneficial yeah
0: I was reading some of your online reviews, but actually, by the way, you've got a ton of online reviews. Do you have a strategy for asking patients or encouraging them to, to do these reviews?
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, that's another thing that really helped us out is kind of getting those online reviews and asking people because we try to be genuine with people and we try to be genuine when we ask, right? We say, Hey, you know, it really would mean a ton to us if you were willing to write a review. And as soon as they say yes, you say, Oh, great. Can I send you an email right now? You know? And you kind of got them then, you know? It's kind of like, I'm going to send one right now. You kind of, while they're standing there, um, you send an email with a link in it or a text and then you say, Hey, did you, and then while they're there, you say, did you get it? And once they say, yeah, I got it, you know, not that they're, you know, they're kind of in now. Um, so they're kind of right there and they're saying, all right. So they're going to go do it. But also when you're around other people and they really know you care, you pick the right time to do it at a D bond, right? Do all the D bonds, if you say, Hey, you know, I hope you had a great experience. I love treating you as a patient. I hate to see you go. Um, I would love you to tell us how we did. Um, it's always important for us, you know, in orthodontics, our patients revolve every, hopefully 18 months to two years. I would love if you write us a review and just tell us how we did. That's important. And then also incentivizing the team to do that, um, as well, because you're not going to be there to do it all and you can't. But if you incentivize them in some form or fashion and tell them how important it is too, I think that's a big thing.
0: Do you use a service to do it or do you, I mean, is this a kind of a stock email? How do you actually do it?
1: Yeah, so we use a service. I use, um, you know, uh, Best Local Reviews. I think I got that um, uh, from Anil um, at some point, um, where he told me to use this service. It's great. Um, we've been using that. It's been really good. We first were just doing it kind of in the office, and I thought that was a great idea. Have a little thing set up. Uh, Google didn't love that, so oh, I got to 45 one time, and they, I woke up one morning, they were all gone. I um, <laughs> send Google the email, and they're like, "Well, they all came from the same, uh, you know, Wi-Fi kind of account, so they 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 kind of." flagged it, that that didn't seem legit. So you have to you know make sure you're not doing that. So that's why you send it to them and they kind of do it on their own time.
0: And now you're back up, What you're up to like a ton. Is it like 190 something? I, I was looking today.
1: Yeah, well, 190 in one location and probably 100 in the other one, you know, that's the one amazing. I just got. So that's good. And one thing we do to get the staff kind of involved, we oftentimes will read them, you know, not oftentimes, but periodically we'll read them and say, hey, this patient said this about us, Um, you know, in a positive light. And they'd be like, and that makes everyone feel good. We all want to know we did a good job. But when they actually hear it and the things that we always talk about in, you know, huddles and meetings about this is important, this is important, when they actually see someone say this really, you know, kind of touched me, I love this place, it was this and this and this and this, um, it makes them want to do more. You know, we all like that positive feedback. It's one thing for me as the uh kind of owner orthodontist to say certain things. But another thing when a, you know, a person says how much it changed them or how much they liked it there or what they felt about the practice, it kind of snowballs on itself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you said that because it reminded me of my original question before I got off on this tangent here. I was reading one of these reviews, uh, or a couple of them, I guess, and a couple of them talked about your good bed They said you had a good bedside manner, which I thought was great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I no, don't know if no, you're treating no. or orth- your patients in bed, but, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. no, 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 but, but, but seriously, what do you do or what do you try to do to set yourself apart as an orthodontist that, that I guess has good bedside manners?
1: Yeah, um a couple big things for me. I always speak to every patient at every visit. And I think most people do that. But I taught talk, talked to them about very little about orthodontics. They say, "Hey, how's it going, man?" you know. Um, "How are you doing today?" Um, you know, make sure and then try to remember something about them. That's the real key. Hey, I remember that baseball game you had. How'd it go? And they'll they'll be, you can see the look on their face. They're always like, oh, wow, he kind of remembered that. Um, Or, hey, I know your birthday was coming up there. I remember you were going to have this kind of party. You know, how is that? You know, how was it? You know, I didn't get my invitation, something, you know, something silly like that. You know, or compliment them on their shoes or anything small like that. But another big thing I do, too, I go out to the weight room and I talk to the parent one-on-one what's going on or about how they're doing or how the other kids are doing, those kind of different things. Just, you know, for a better term, just speaking to them just like regular people, right? Just like I would speak to anyone that I met anywhere else, you know, just in a friendly manner, you know, and I think that helps. and. I think a lot of people will say, "Oh, you're just like a normal guy. You're not like a, a doctor." I'm like, "Well, I'm good." <laughs> um, you know, I think, and I think we're all that way. But I think oftentimes our patients don't see us as normal people. And it's more you can tell them, say, "Oh, yeah, that happened to me too," or um, "Yeah, I had the same incident happen," and just be honest with them um, when things aren't going right. Tell them, say, "Hey, this is what I'm seeing. I'm a little bit behind schedule on this. This tooth isn't moving like I want." You know, but we're gonna get it. You're gonna have a great smile when we're done. And I know I'm gonna push it and get you all get you out as fast as can as fast as I possibly can, I think that means a lot to people
0: yeah, I think people are some orthodontists are scared of going out to the waiting room
1: yeah I, I think it's like the, if it's not in your wheelhouse to speak to people, I think it may be a little bit awkward for them but these people are going to be with you for two years um Most of the orthodontists that we engage with and that we know are good people and they're gonna do a pretty good job so if someone's choosing you for two years. You know, I want them to kind of walk away with kind of knowing who we are and, or, and coming back and, you know, saying great things about our practice there. And I don't think they're going to do that. They never, you know, the worst feeling, I don't even remember my orthodontist and I'm an orthodontist, right? I had to Google, I had to Google who they were. I was like, oh yeah, that's the guy. That's who I, that's who did my braces. And that's never how I want, uh, my patients to feel about me or their parents there. You know, we'll call them and say, Hey, you know, I know that was a tougher visit for us. You know, I put in some appliance that that was a tougher visit for us. Hope it's all going great. Um, things like that. You know, the orthodontic side of it is only speaking, I'm only speaking about wires for probably about 20 seconds of the visit, right? The other time right. that I'm sitting chair side, I'm just talking to them about themselves. I don't want to spend X amount of time in a consultation being funny and getting to know people. And then ever since then, after that, they never see me again. You know, I don't, that's kind of like a bait and switch to me. Um, and that's not the real me. So I figure like, you know, I want to be myself in every, every time I can. Um, I think that's important.
0: Yeah. That authenticity, I think really shines through, Al, when I'm talking with you here. I can, I can, I can tell you really mean that. Um, tell us about what your goals are for 2017. What, what do you have going on this year?
1: Yeah. So 2017 is going to be a, you know, hopefully a great year. Like I said, last year we bought the practice. Um, my wife has two practices. I have two practices, Um, you know, and for the first time, I'm really entertaining. I really want to bring on um another doctor on um, another associate to kind of grow the practice. You know, that's that's going to be a different thing. But now the two practices, having them open together and really starting to venture into the pedo-ortho together space. Um, we've always kept it sounding separate, two totally different practices, you know, and try not to talk about it too much. But I, you know, continue to hear that. That's, you know, the wave of the future. And we're actually going to tackle that as well. Um, so bringing on associate, and really starting to do some of the pedo-ortho combined stuff. Um, and some of it's also getting back into doing even more of the, uh, you know, the, the little things that we talked about. Because uh, you sometimes you forget to do the small things that made you successful. Um And that's always a fear of mine as well. We grew because of certain things. I want to make sure as we are grown now a little bit bigger that we can still hold up to those things that made us successful in the beginning.
0: I love that. That's awesome. Well, we're going to try something new, actually, on this episode of the podcast. Uh, I'm going to call this the the Elevate Express 8. I don't know. This is something brand new here. Uh, it's kind of a lightning round idea, and it was inspired by Dr. David Maloli of the Relentless Dentist podcast, and also a little bit by my friend uh, Neil Kravitz, who thought this would be a fun addition. So what I'm going to try to do on these episodes is ask the same set of quick questions to each practicing orthodontist on the show as kind of a way to wrap up and just get some kind of quick-fire answers uh, here. So... Alfred, are you ready to be the test pilot here for
1: this? Oh, yeah. yeah. I feel like it's like Family Feud or something. So, you know, where you got yes. to get the answer. So I'm, um, I'm energetic. I'm ready. I hope, hopefully you don't stump me. So okay, let's go. <laughs> okay. Good. Here we go. What's your go-to corrector for full-step class twos? Um, I'm one of those guys that uh, use a Herbst. Um, that's by the main one that I kind of use there, which is big and clunky and patients really, really love it. Um, but for me, that's the one I've kind of gotten the best result of, um, a lot of other things kind of break on me. So the full step class, too, I always use a Herbst.
0: Awesome. What's your standard retention protocol?
1: Upper and lower Essex. Um, I usually do that. Um, I have a lot of rotations or, um, I'll do a bonded lower. Um, I have a diastom on the top. I'll do a, um, a bonded upper, but typically at Essex on the top and the bottom, And those patients will wear that full-time for three months. Then after that, I'll see them one more time nine months later. So I see them over a total of a year. Um, But after three months, they start sleeping in those. Awesome. Who are your role models? Uh, Biggest role models are my mom and my grandma. Uh, My grandma raised 10 kids, mostly by herself. Um, in the, you know, fifties and sixties in rural Mississippi and all 10 of her kids went on to graduate from college. Um, so that's always a big thing for me. It's always a driving force for me, uh, whenever I'm thinking about kind of, you know, being lazy and quitting and then, you know, obviously answers people's parents. But for me, my mom was, you know, she was always, you know, kind of there for me and my brother, who's, uh, uh, he's a medical doctor, he's a surgeon there. So I think, you know, obviously she did a great job with us in my opinion, um, but yeah, she's a person I always kind of look to and, um, you know, for inspiration. Awesome. What's your favorite orthodontic product or instrument? for me, it's always small stuff. You know, I love my laser, you know, I whipped that out probably, you know, too many times. So I, I love my little dial laser for gums, kind of getting the brackets in a lot better position um, when I can. So uh, between the past self um and my lasers, those are kind of my two main things. And I recently bought four new clinical cameras, the big guys there as well. They're just, I know some people are going anti-photo, but I'm kind of the opposite. Sweet. What's the best vacation you've ever taken? uh best vacation ever taken. Probably two actually. I thought that's probably not the right way to do it, but I probably have to go with two. Uh one when I was uh twenty one, I went to Barcelona for a week and that was just amazing. Uh it had a combination of a little culture. It was fun. Um the people were just very, very, you know, laid back and that always um you know stuck with me how they took the siestas and how they really um uh, kind of relaxed a lot, which was different from the American way of do things. And the second one is when I went to Aruba for my 30th birthday um, and actually got engaged uh, then. So those are probably the two best trips.
0: Great. What's one book you've read recently that you would recommend?
1: Um, I'm reading a book called Traction. Uh, it's a great book. It's just kind of about breaking down business into uh, systems. And it's, it's it's an amazing book so far.
0: We already answered this, I think. But the bracket system that you're currently using?
1: I use mostly Damon brackets, but I'm not a hundred percent Damon guy. Um, I'll probably use seventy um, percent Damon and thirty uh, percent Twin. And people always ask me how I choose. If it's a you know, crowded case where I'm pushing the envelope, I'll push him towards um, Damon. Um, otherwise, it's kind of a choice between the two. Um, you know, funny enough, my thesis was on Damon versus traditional brackets. Um, so, you know, from that, I had to do a ton of research and know the nuances of each one and the pros and cons of each. So I had to kind of break all that down for my thesis. Um, so with that, I kind of, you know, I think professors always say that you're going to use some of this material when you're out. And I actually and I actually do.
0: <laughs> Great. Our last question. What's one area of orthodontics that you want to learn more about?
1: One uh, area I want to learn more about, you know, finishes, really. Um, you know, I think everyone says that, but I really want to, um, you know, like uh, Derek Bach says, you know, stick to finish more often, be more clinically efficient. You know, I know a lot of guys out there say you know, it takes them four visits and they're almost done. Um, I'm not one of those guys. You know, I'm still getting done in, you know, 24 months. Um, I'm really still trying to do the best I can with every single detail that's our bread and butter, right? You know, social media is fun. Community service is fun. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we do create smiles and I want to just get better at that each time.
0: Awesome. Well, Alfred, thanks so much for being on the podcast. This has been a blast. And some of the stuff you said, I'm going to go back and listen to again. Uh, it, it was fantastic. Thank you so much.
1: I hope you can use some of the stuff. Um, you know, hope some you know young orthodontists or older orthodontists out there get something from it. I love these. I listen to them every day at the gym uh when I'm on the bike. Listen to some of them two and three times. Um so great. And I really thank you for doing this and having me uh um be able to be a part of this.
0: Oh, that's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Have a great night, Alfred. Talk to you later.
1: Thanks, thanks, Lance. Hope I did a good job, man. Uh <laughs> and I'll see you soon, buddy. All right.
0: Hey guys, I want to thank Dr. Alfred Jackson for being on the podcast. I love that interview and some of the pearls that he has sprinkled throughout are still just ringing in my ears. It was a fantastic interview and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you guys are doing well out there. Orthodontics is the best job in the world. We're so lucky to be part of this profession. I hope you're doing well. If you need anything, shoot me an email, send me a message. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, have a great week and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode.